Well, today is a bit easier to understand. Bond yields are back on the rise, given inflation expectations and more hawkish rhetoric from central banks. That's hit equities. We can all follow that, right? What's different today is the big rises have been front-end yields in Europe. It seems that they might be getting ready to raise their rates a little sooner, but it really depends on who you listen to. And inflation, well, we get a chance to see where that is going from PMIs today. Lots of them for Europe, the UK and the US. What's happening to input prices? It's Friday, the 22nd of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, after yesterday's fall in bond yields, they are back with a vengeance today. Ten-year treasuries up six basis points to 2.89%. They were up over 10 basis points earlier, so they've come back a fair bit. It's the same story with two years uh, at the front end, up 10 basis points, almost 13 basis points earlier, and rises just as big across Europe as well. Ten years are up 10 basis points in the UK, Italy, Spain, nine in Germany and the Netherlands, 11 in Portugal, uh, but yields falling slightly in Australia. Against this... Perhaps no surprise that equities are falling another 2.1% off the Nasdaq at close. That's more than 17% of its peak last November. Facebook and NVIDIA, the chipmaker, are both down more than 5%. Tesla has lost 4.3% as well. But airlines doing well. United Airlines up 11%, for example. The Dow is down 1%. The S&P is down 1.5%. But in Europe, well, generally, they're going the other way. The DAX is up 1% this morning. The FTSE is is uh, pretty flat on the day and a small rise in the US dollar, although it dipped more than half a percent midway through the session, but uh, claimed all of that back. The Aussie dollar, though, is down 1% at 73.7 US cents. The pound has lost a third of 1%, so is the yen and half percent off the Swiss franc. And oil up around 1.6% for WTI, close to $104 now, and Brent up 1.6%, over 108 So today seems a bit easier to explain. Here's NAB's Ken Crompton. He joins me from Sydney, bond yields back on the rise, growth stocks, particularly tech stocks, taking a hit. That's what the textbook tells us. So uh, it's it's a bit easier to understand what's happening in the markets this morning, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's correct, Phil. Certainly a bit of uh, yeah, a, a bit more textbook um, as, as you'd expect, and sort of less less need to to sort of try and draw torturous correlations um, <laughs> or torturous explanations for the for the correlations at least. So. Um, I mean, the move in bond yields has been of, of sort of particular interest to, to me. I mean, that's sort of we we did have that decent pullback in yields yesterday, which is um, yeah, not quite reversed, but but certainly a good chunk of that's happened. Um, and really, once again, that does seem to have been sort of central banks, uh, central bank speakers who've been the main drivers of that. But um, you know, the yeah. Fed has played their part, but uh, the, the the bigger change in the past twenty four hours has been. A few of the uh, more hawkish members of the ECB governing council have been weighing in publicly with their thoughts on where yeah. policy should need to be. Well, let's look at Europe in a second, but just staying in the States just for a second before we do that. Jerome Powell uh, was at the IMF. Uh, in fact, everyone's been in the IMF today, haven't they, uh, in Washington. Uh, he basically said, yes, 50 basis points is, is going to happen at the next meeting. And uh, he used the words, uh, you know, the, we've got a, there's something in the idea of front end loading. So I think the market's now expecting a few 50 basis point rises in a row, aren't they? Yeah. So it, particularly with um, with Jim Bullard sort of at, you know, adding sort of fuel to, to his sort of previous comments by talking about 75 basis points um, a, a, a couple of days ago, that had sort of really helped firm up pricing for those 50 point moves. Um, Powell has actually managed to push that even a little bit further. So we have a little bit more than 50 basis points priced at each of the next two meetings now. 
And, mm. um, you know, if you round it a bit, you've effectively got 50 basis points priced across, uh, you know, across each of the next three meetings. So by the end of the year, the market is now pricing the Fed to be at, at about 2.4%. Uh, in, in, in terms of the overnight rate, which is getting getting around sort of some of those estimates of neutral that we've heard some Fed officials talking about in the past couple of days, which is where they, which is where quite a few of them have said they want to see policy to get relatively quickly. So, so sort of the, the market is certainly picking up that um, that that message, and and that sort of feels quite deliberate by the Fed. I mean, they're going to uh, blackout ahead of the the four May meeting. Uh, I think effectively now that they're in blackout, so. Um, Powell's mm. comments last night was sort of the last chance for for the Fed to sort of publicly, um, publicly sort of push the market to sort of um, to, to to where they wanted it, and um, arguably that, that, that they've achieved that. And we know historically the Fed really doesn't like to disappoint the market in terms of um, you know sort of priced rate hikes. So, um, so yeah, the, the message so has been received. They have once or twice, they haven't. But the, <laughs> but it seems like it's divided the uh, the equity markets. I mean, the, the, again, it seems like fairly easy to explain. Generally, uh, the markets have been subdued because of this this rise in in bond yields, so a flight away from uh, from shares. Except for companies, understandably, they're doing particularly well. So United Airlines, they say uh, travel is going to be back beyond uh, 2019 levels. They expect their first profit for a few years. So hardly surprising then that they've seen a big jump in their share price. And then Tesla. Uh, their results, uh, sale Q1 sales jumped 81%, well past expectations. So not surprising that uh, they have uh, combated the the pull uh, of uh, of higher treasury yields. And uh, you know, if you've got stellar results, then you, perhaps you'll do okay for a, for a day or two. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if it lasts. And similarly, Chinese companies that trade in the US, they're not doing well. Uh, down four percent for the for the biggest companies, uh, Chinese companies on the S and P in the US. And we've got the yuan down half a percent on the US dollar as well this morning. And that is just plain and simple. It's just no end to lockdowns. I mean, we, we, I mean, nobody's got an answer to that. And I guess China is going to suffer as a result of that, isn't it? Yeah, that, 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 that's correct. I mean, the, the sort of political background to those, to, to, to the zero COVID policy and lockdowns is, you know, is quite mm. complex. And, um, it, it's difficult to, to see a way to, to cleanly exit that. And I mean, what we're starting to see in some of the, um, the sort of the broader Asian trade data is how that is start, starting to sort of filter out across to the broader broader economies. Um, you know, you, you talked about the Japanese trade data yesterday. I mean, that, that showed yep. exports to China there had slowed. There was uh, Korean trade data out yesterday, which I must normally don't follow too closely. But, um, yeah, but <laughs> exports to China there have grown you know, just 1.8% year on year. So clearly the, um, the, the lockdowns there are starting to, yeah, starting to sort of slow down broader trade in the region. And yeah. Um, yeah, CPI inflation is sort of broadly expected to have peaked. If you look at um, inflation markets generally, um, almost universally, those are pricing inflation to begin to fall away, you know, relatively re- relatively soon. But um, but it's it's difficult to see what to what extent that may be taken into account. Uh, you sort of a renewed surge in supply chain issues. You know, if you see um, yeah, sort of yeah. boats um, boats starting to to line up off, offshore from China and that sort of thing. I- and also, how much of it is being driven by demand destruction? You know, what is the price of all of this? I mean, we might see inflation comes down, but only because people are buying less. And we, you know, we've got so we'll find out in the UK. We get their uh, the retail sales and Canada's retail sales as well. So, uh, the question about demand destruction would be part of that. But we we can look at what we've seen over the last twenty four hours. The Philly Fed Manufacturing Index uh, went from twenty seven point four in March to seventeen point six in April, with what seems to be a familiar pattern lately: new orders down, prices paid up. Business conditions from 22.7 down to 8.2. 
none of this looks particularly good, does it? No, I mean, the, the headline missed there um, sort of maybe wasn't necessarily hugely notable in itself. And, I mean, there was a uh, there was a bit of a bump in the Philly Fed survey back in March, which was a little bit of anomalous at the time. So maybe there's a bit of a bit of correction there. But certainly those um, sort of sub-indices data is, is not too encouraging for the, for the supply chain pictures and business conditions, as you've pointed out. Um, you know, if you look at the delivery times index in particular there, you know, that, that was also down. But that, that was down massively from sort of about 40 down to 17. Point nine. Now that that's mm. obviously a, a positive to some extent, um, sort of. But I mean, in the, in the context of sort of as we talked about the the occasional volatility in some of these regional surveys, maybe it shouldn't be extrapolated to a broader trend. But um, mm. but that 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 is a positive. Um, and the other the other interesting thing there is, of course, that the, the labour market indicators embedded in that survey um, do tend to show that just sort of. As nearly everything does in the US, labour market is incredibly strong, and um, you know, jobless claims um, overnight, or weekly initial jobless claims, I should say. Yeah, they fell a little, <clears throat> didn't they? Not as much as expected, but they were down a little bit. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, there's a mix of news, I guess. Uh, but let's look at Europe then, because uh, yeah, we are seeing yields much higher, particularly the front end. So German two-year bonds up more than sixteen basis points. This is a big leap. So obviously. Inflation fears rising, but it is the more hawkish rhetoric from, well, some ECB members. So the vice president, Louis de Grindos, uh, basically saying he sees no reason for the asset purchase program to continue beyond July. So everyone's taken that as meaning, right. That means rates start in July, like start in July. Yeah, so there was there's certainly a contrast in in the messages we're seeing from the ECB officials that, that we did hear. So um, certainly earlier, or mm. you know, sort of during the Australian afternoon, we started to hear from um, Wunsch, who... And um, and de Gundos as well, and, and yeah, they had that message, that, that sort of quite hawkish message that, that that you were talking about, and that that did help get those German yields um, moving substantially. And if we look at what is priced into the bill strip now there in Europe, that's managed to push um, the implied rate there positive uh, by the October meeting now actually. So um, so you've got a, mm. in fact, you've got an implied rate of, of a quarter percent by by December. So oh, sorry. Yeah, by the December meeting. So, um, you know, ECB pricing has been pretty volatile over the past week. I mean, if you listen to Christine Lagarde's comments at the IMF panel discussion where she was Gradual speaking with Jerome normalisation, not tightening. She's not changed her approach at all, has she? No, she exactly. always has to use the word gradual. Yeah. Yes, certainly a bit, uh, much more guarded language there. Um, and, you know, we sort of have seen in the in the post meeting statements press conferences and the minutes the the the, the pains that um that Lagarde in particular has gone to to sort of try and disassociate the end of QE with with rate hikes um and you know I guess in market in market pricing terms that's not been too successful but um but if, if you're sort of reading into that I guess the divided opinions amongst the ECB it does sort of highlight that there is a yeah, there, there is a, a, a certainly a, a diversity of views there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the market now, after last night's comments from speakers other than Lagarde, sort of has um, has put a little bit more pricing back into yeah, back back into July. Um, yeah. So that sort of seems to be the the, the point at which the market's going to assume they're. But at that more now. hawkish end, it's almost as though nothing is happening in Ukraine. You know, it's uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's almost as though Europe is going to roll over. They're going to continue to buy gas. Look the other way. Uh, and uh, you know we've ha- we've had Germany basically saying they'd rather use sanctions that will hurt Putin more than the German economy. So that's sort of saying, yeah, we're going to keep on buying this gas. Don't you worry about that. Uh, 
And so, I mean, it's almost like, well, this expectation is, yes, well, that's the way it's going to go. Uh, and that's giving the ECB more room to manoeuvre. To maneuver. If there was more uncertainty, if Germany was saying, well, no, look, we might find a way of getting our gas elsewhere, even if it means we're going to hurt our economy, then the ECB might be more guarded, you know, might be following more of the Christine Lagarde approach. Yeah, and I guess that sort of does highlight the, the sort of complex interplay of politics yeah. and, and economics that is the ECB, particularly when you, you add in you know, external external politically driven shocks or geopolitical shocks, I should say, such as such as the war. It does make for a very complex um, policy-making mm. environment. And, you know, we sort of yeah. see that um, there was some speakers from the Bank of England overnight as well. Um, Catherine Mann was speaking a little bit earlier um, in, the, in the evening before Governor Bailey, and she talked around those um, that, that balance as well, sort of trying to... Um, trying to Sort of navigate a, a policy path through the through the inflation shock, but whilst trying to account for the the yeah the, the hit to real incomes that, that that is likely going to be coming, and the BOE yeah. has been at the forefront of that sort of discussion um, in terms of obviously they they have begun to to lift rates, but they've always been um, quick to highlight that um, that the cycle may be short and at some sort of neutral or or at least some sort of higher level than the present they're probably going to pause, um, and ma- that's probably the the policy path the ECB may want to try and, and you know and craft and obviously you know if you compare that to what we're seeing from the Fed where the the urging of nearly all members has been to um you know to obviously price neutral quickly but then they're not trying to temper too many expectations beyond that and, and are quite happy to see the market price well under restrictive so um that, and Andrew Bailey the, from, the, the from the Bank of England as well. He was uh, at the IMF. Everyone's at the IMF. Um, they must have a really good buffet to draw all these people in. Uh, <laughs> he'd, uh, he's basically saying, yeah, don't, you know, forget about forward guidance. He certainly didn't offer any because of that uh, that thin line between tackling inflation and the cost of living crisis. And I think they know if they go too far, they're just going to trigger a recession in the UK, don't they? And closer to home, the, uh, yeah. the Aussie dollar t- taking a bit of a hit this morning. Uh, and New Zealand CPI yesterday, not as bad as feared, 6.9%. Uh, but that, that is still a 32-year high. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, my my Kiwi colleagues are often quick to, to highlight the extent to which New Zealand leads the world. Um, so maybe they are leading the world in um, you know, in undershooting <laughs> CPI expectations. Maybe, maybe that's the, the the trend for the year. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, you know, a point to miss on a, on, on a headline inflation of six point nine percent is is hardly something to be too excited about if you're a policymaker or if you're a uh, New Zealand. Um, New Zealand consumer, or especially homeowner, given um, you know, sort of given that if you have a New Zealand mortgage, you're facing a you know, a, a two hundred plus point increase if you are refinancing your fixed rate mortgage that's about to roll off. Um, in terms of the the detail in that print, um, what was sort of particularly notable to our New Zealand economist was that. Um, you know, non-tradables inflation actually came in under where the RBN, where the RBNZ had been picking in the in the you know, in the February NPS. So non-tradables came in at one point five, um, quarter on quarter versus one point six. Now, once again, that that's not huge, uh, but that does sort of highlight the domestic versus international mix of of inflation. You, you could argue that New Zealand is facing. So, um, yeah, the the tradables component is sort of the more global the more global component, and and that's going to be more. Um, Dominated by things like um, you know, commodity prices, for example. Now that actually um, th- that was two point four percent quarter on quarter. So, you know, so may- maybe you know some of the domestic factors aren't uh, aren't quite as strong, but the the, the tradables stuff is. And I mean, um, yeah, we have the Australian CPI next week, and 
on a sort of a quarter to quarter basis. You, you can't really draw too many direct, um, direct, direct sort of causal causal relationships between Australia and New Zealand CPI. But um, but to the extent that um, yeah, that tradables was a was a big upside source of pressure in New Zealand, that, that that's going to be a factor here too. I right. Mean, now, uh, Japan, if they get up to 6.9% with their CPI, they know we've got a problem, <laughs> but we do get the uh, Japan CPI numbers today. Uh, the big news, I guess, for looking at inflation is producer prices, PMIs. We get lots of them today for manufacturing and services for the US, for the UK, for Europe and Germany. This is going to be interesting, isn't it, to see what input prices are doing you know, sort of as a forewarning, foreshadowing where perhaps inflation could be going. Hopefully, we'll be pleasantly surprised. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, certainly the the, the forecasts for uh, <laughs> you sound as though you're not well, expecting it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the, the, the forecasts or the, the survey forecasts for headline numbers are are, are soft. I mean, the, these PMI numbers almost mm. universally are still sitting in expensive territory. I mean, more so in the US, where they're yeah. even if, even though I think they're expected to fall away from sort of that that sixty level, mm. it's still going to be in in the high fifties. Um, it's at similar levels in you know, in in Germany, UK, and and Europe. Well, we'll see what it brings and what we can make out of it. Good to talk, Ken. We have to go. We are out of time. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Jeez, thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Friday morning Anzac Day on Monday. So we won't be here. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Have a terrific weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you next week.